We're talking oil services on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia. And to my left is Tyler Crow, and to my right is the one and only Taylor Muckerman. How are you today? I'm not bad. How are you? Doing pretty good, man. Not too shabby. So uh, we're talking about oil services earnings, and you might expect that uh, it would be obviously getting crushed, but uh, that's not really the case. No. I mean, if so So far we've had about four companies, or four of the larger companies, I guess, in the oil services space that have... Um, Reported so far, we've got Core Labs, Schlumberger, Halliburton, Baker Hughes. Uh, three out of the four Core Labs, Schlumberger, and Halliburton all beat earnings expectations this quarter. Uh, Baker Hughes, not quite so much. No. But, I mean, that I guess that somebody has some, to be the somebody outlier. has right. to be the loser some days. Now, do you think they beat um, because the expectations were just so abysmal? Um, uh, that could be. I mean, yeah, you're looking at really tough year-over-year comps. Um, but it's industry wide. So it, you look at services companies, especially Halliburton and Baker Hughes, focused on North America for almost or more than fifty percent of their revenues, which is where you see most of the downturn in production. So yeah, I could understand why analysts would think that the worst of times are about to hit these companies. But uh, it shows you this, the advantage that size has and abil- and their ability to cut costs and still maintain a profitable business, um, at least for Halliburton and Schlumberger and Core Labs. Baker Hughes turned the loss, but um, you look at some of their smaller peers, probably not able to cut costs and still you know, keep the lights on as well because they have stable balance sheets and you know, they've been able to withstand a little bit of this. So I think that shows the advantage that these companies have. And then Halliburton getting even bigger if they can close this deal with Baker Hughes which they said that they're on track for. They're selling three three drilling units, um, and they've seen um, prices and levels of interest that w- they were pleased with. So um, all, things look, all, all systems go for at least Schlumberger and Halliburton and Core Labs. Yeah, and one of the other things, I, I, maybe I'm speculating a little bit here too much, but I, one of the things that I always get the feeling is, is that you know being American – Investors, we have a tendency to be a little bit more American-centric with our investments and how we look at you know the global markets and things like that. And so, when we see that drilling activity in the United States has declined by forty percent based on rig counts, we would assume that you know with oil services stocks, we're going to get a, probably a bigger hit than what we actually saw with some of these guys uh, like Schlumberger, Halliburton. You know. Declining revenues, twenty four percent. You know, not as much. But if you look at a couple of these companies, for example, Core Labs, Schlumberger, they're tied much more to the international markets. Uh, especially, uh, you know, Core Labs has a very strong presence in the Middle East, which has actually had relatively steady drilling activity from over pretty much since this decline has started. Well, yeah, you saw OPEC basically say we're keeping we're keeping the pumps going. So, I mean, that pretty much tells yeah. you that Core Labs is going to have some business. And especially with so countries. much of their stuff being associated with enhanced oil recovery mm-hmm. and so many of the older fields in the Middle East, uh, at that point where they're looking at those sort of solutions for them, you're getting these companies that are exposed more internationally, holding up much, much better in the oil industry than, you know, the the Halliburton Baker Hughes who have you know, closer to a, somewhere between a third and a half of their revenue generated within the North, North American market. Which of these names, uh, their respective performances, really stands out to you guys? Like you're actually applauding how they've handled things, um, if any. Yeah. So 
Halliburton, for one, just because 50% of their business comes from North America. Um, and they've also been going through this potential merger and acquisition with Baker Hughes. So they've got a lot on their plates, and they're still performing. Um, and then Core Labs, I thought that this company was beaten up way too much to begin with in the markets, um, and they're showing the results that you would expect from a company like this, generating significant cash flow still in a, in a time where companies are pulling back on the dividends, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, Core Labs still churning out cash flow for their investors. Yeah. On that note, there, Core Labs is known for spectacular free cash flow generation. They literally just buy back stock without abandon. Um, have they increased that, given what their share price has done in the last year at all? I know that they instituted a share, buy, share buyback plan. I'm not too sure of the exact count on that, but I know um, when the market first initiated its downturn in, the, in oil and gas, um, they they went out and proclaim that they're going to buy back a significant and even more I mean this is a company that's known for buying back right. shares but I think it's a good time for sure I um looking at the they I believe it was somewhere in about just around 40 45 million dollars worth of stock that they bought back this this past quarter alone wow um, you know on a, for a company that only generated 200 million in earnings you know cranking out somewhere in 45 50 million dollar free cash flow range and then being able to you know buy back that much stock on top of paying a dividend yeah. that's pretty spectacular. I mean they're not drilling so their capex isn't that high. I mean they're investing in R&D for the most part. Yeah. I think I checked out their capex uh, for last year and it was like what 30 million dollars yeah. or something it's not. It's peanuts compared to the yeah. amount of money that they are making, which is why they're able to pay a dividend, buy back shares and keep uh, keep the cash count high. Is that is their competitive position going to uh, withstand the next 5 or 10 years? I would imagine. Think? I would imagine so. I, we visited them uh, two years ago. Got a tour of their facilities, and they're talking about companies that are employing Halliburton and Schlumberger and, and others to do their drilling. And those companies do some of the same things that um, Core Labs does, but the producers say, "Hey, can you go ahead and check this work for us just to double check because we trust your opinion so highly?" Like they'll outsource some of the work that they are already contracting wow. an equipment and services provider to do. Just as a double check to make sure that Core Labs jives with what what the other parties are saying. Got it. Yeah, their market opportunity is certainly there. I mean, if you look at kind of the oil and gas space over the next five to ten years, a larger percentage of our oil production is going to be coming from higher service intensity areas, deep offshore drilling areas where you have high pressure, high temperature wells. It's really, really hard to kind of parse data out of these things, and and Core has kind of developed a niche. In specifically that kind of data analysis, and at the same time, like we were just talking about with the Middle East stuff, where you know you're moving to enhanced oil produ- uh, re- recovery, excuse me, that where uh, Core is going to be kind of a specialist in reservoir descriptions, and basically they're saying, okay, this is how you can best manage either the decline or the enhanced recovery of these specific things. So the market opportunity is certainly there, and like as long as they can maintain that technological um, advantage. Over the the traditional oil services guys, I don't see how they could really not go up from here. Got yeah, it. the predictive modeling. I think that they can that they can describe exactly how oil is likely to come out of your well in the best case scenario, and exactly how you need to go about it before you even start to drill. It can save companies a lot of money and and increase the revenues further down the road. If I mean. The science behind these these individual wells is incredibly co- complex, and each individual well is different. And so, if they can go ahead and tell you exactly how you need to do it before you actually even try and mess up a few times, I think that's a no brainer for companies to get in there and spend a few extra million bucks on that early on. 
Got it. So uh, before we move on here, uh, what's not working with these names? What's not working? Yeah. Um, We're talking about a lot about their success and all that. More than anything, it's just the commodity cycle, the natural commodity cycle of things. I mean, we've seen rig activity down. We've seen oil prices go down. And, you know, you look at, like you were talking earlier about perceptions. Everybody's looking at things like Iranian oil getting back online, uh, talking about OPEC not wanting to budge and how, you know, the kind of quick turnaround cycle with American oil, how it's going to keep prices low for a really long time. So many people are going to, you know, I, I don't, from a company standpoint, I don't really worry about these guys in many ways because they've shown the ability to adapt to the market. Uh, even Slumberjay's This isn't their first rodeo. <laughs> exactly. Even Slumberjay's CEO said this is we have probably handled this downturn better than any downturn we have ever done in our history. I'm not worried about that. Uh, the only thing that I can see is people's perception of these companies in these down market cycles. Yeah, if you're if you're worried about a, a downturn, you have to worry about it industry-wide. These are the companies that if you're willing to invest in oil and gas, these are probably the bets that you can pretty much forget, comparatively speaking, to the rest of the, the pack. Cool. Well, before we move on, I wanted to make our listeners aware of a very special offer for all industry-focused listeners. If you found this discussion informative and you are looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We are offering the lowest price out there for all of our industry-focused listeners. It is $129 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from our team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And uh, moving on to our next topic, we got uh, Chesapeake Energy cutting its dividend after being mum about it for six weeks. Not just cutting, but eliminating. Eliminating. Right? Yeah. yeah, completely, completely cutting yeah. it, gone. Um, this will obviously save them money. As I recall, I think the stock actually popped up, but then it you know, pulled back on the news. Um, anybody surprised by this at all? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough about the company at the moment to have predicted it, but hearing it and then going back and looking at the numbers, yeah, totally reasonable to have predicted this if this is a company that you follow pretty pretty regularly. Right. Yeah, this is one of those uh, tough kind of companies. It's emerging as one of the largest oil and gas producers mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah, last check, I think, they're uh, second largest natural gas producer in the United States, 11th largest uh, crude oil. Right. So they're not so, small. And, and no, they're not at all. They've been growing really fast because if you look at crude oil itself, you know they were almost non-existent in crude oil back in, what, 2011, mm-hmm. 2012, when natural gas prices kind of collapsed and all of a sudden you know the company said oh boy we better uh, go get some oil production to kind right. of hedge our bets a little bit here so you know to see the amount of growth that they have done over the few years is quite spectacular and i think when a company gets that large uh, there's a, a certain expectation that especially that quickly yeah yeah you know there there's an ex- expectation with a company that large oh they must be you know doing quite well they probably can financially afford a dividend when in reality the company has been spending so much money to get to where it is today that you know budgetary cash fall, uh, cash obligations for them just aren't kind of matching what they're doing out in the field. Do you think they were trying to reach and be an Exxon Mobil or something by paying a dividend? Perhaps I, I don't have enough uh, insider knowledge. Insider on, knowledge on yeah. you know 
you know, maybe back when Aubrey Clinton, we are going to be the next ExxonMobil. I kind of highly doubt that considering yeah. they're out pure producer versus the integrated model that somebody like ExxonMobil has taken on. But if you look at their, you know, today, uh, over this past year, they have about a $2.4 billion cash shortfall in their operations. And considering the lack of financing that is starting, or the, it wouldn't lack today, but kind of the, the uneasiness that the credit markets are seeing with oil and gas producers in the United States as of late, it's going to be much, much harder for them to secure financing than they did perhaps uh, two or three years ago when everybody thought that everything shale was wonderful. So any little bit helps. I mean, you know, it's only about $250 million annually that uh, Chesapeake is going to save with this deal. But you know, it, it sounds like a drop in a hat when you have a $2.5 billion cash shortfall, but at the same time, hey, it's better than nothing, right? Right. Now, this isn't to say that uh, Chesapeake's, you know, looking at a, a credit crunch or anything, because they did just have that deal where they sold um, a bunch of their shale assets. Correct me if I'm wrong, last October for like five point something billion dollars. Um, I mean, that's a big check. <laughs> I'm, yeah, they certainly have plenty of cash left on the books that... But their, their CapEx commitments for the year but ahead. Ca- yeah. yeah. Between CapEx commitments this year and obviously you're going to have CapEx commitments next year that you can't just... It, you know, They don't have the ability where they say, oh, we got $5 billion. We can give it back to shareholders or anything like yeah. that. It has to this go, is not the time it has to that, go back know. into the budget in some way or another. And provided there isn't some upturn anytime soon, it's it's really hard for, for anyone to see that cash shortfall closing because um, they can't cut fast enough when, it, when we're right. talking about as spread across as many fields in the United States as they are. You know, they're very focused in the Eagle Ford. They're very focused in the Utica. If you go across all of their uh, – if you go across their investor presentations, they're they're giving you data, data on like eight different formations mm-hmm. in the United States. Eventually somewhere they're going to have to – if we stay in where in the kind of market conditions we are today, they're going to have to look at a heart really hard at a couple of these positions and say, okay, we're going to have to focus. Which ones are we going to focus on? Got it. So um, one of the uh, the tenets of the shale just revolution that we've had over the last five or six years has been how it's uh, it's been financed by Wall Street and you know just high yield bonds and all this stuff. Um, as near as I can tell. I don't think any of these companies have any huge like five ten billion dollar bond issues coming due next year or anything. But towards the end of the decade, bond issues start to come happen. So my question to you guys is, how big of financing issues do these producers have in the in the immediate to medium term? Um, I don't think it's anything too detrimental in the short term, unless, like Tyler said, this pricing um, environment stays as it is for another year or so. Um, and one thing about Chesapeake, like a year ago, everyone was singing their praises about selling assets and becoming right. cash flow positive sooner than people thought they could have. And then price the prices take a downturn, and now we see them cutting the dividend and stock below a 52-week low or multi-year low. Maybe I don't. I knew it was beyond I, a year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's below ten dollars today, which yeah. is something we haven't seen since prior to the financial collapse. So we're yeah know, several year lows. So they're preparing for the worst by cutting this dividend because. While I don't think any dividends are guaranteed, that's one of the last things a company wants to do is cut a dividend because right. investors, you know, their ears go up. Even though it might be the best thing for the company, they still get a little nervous. Um, but looking at this, you know, the banks that are 
signing these bonds don't seem to be too worried about it. J.P. Morgan's only set aside $140 million for potential losses in oil and gas That's loans. That's not large. And, <laughs> and, and um, you know, Wells Fargo said that the past due loans that increased in the last quarter were relatively immaterial. So they're not too worried about it. Whether or not they're not worried enough, that's I don't know because I don't follow these banks closely enough to really look at their books. But um, if the banks that are loaning these companies money say it's relatively immaterial, we'll, we'll play the wait-and-see game. I also think it has a, a lot to depend. It depends a lot on the company that you're talking about specifically. You know, Chesapeake Energy, it, it like we said, it has a lot of cash on the books. It also has a lot of assets that it could sell in the event that something goes wrong. However, if you're looking at some of the smaller companies, I guess a great example we just saw in a Bloomberg article a yeah. couple of days ago is Halcone Resources. Uh, these are companies that are much, much smaller. Um, they're facing much tighter cash obligations. And not to say that they're going to default on the loans that they have today, but they much less likely to secure good rates on new financing. Yeah, be able oh. to roll over current debt. Credit yeah, facilities yeah. get cut, all kinds yeah. of fun stuff. Exactly. I mean, we've seen that a lot with some of the master limited partnerships as of late. You know, they've kind of run up to the top of their revolving credit facilities, basically the credit card that these companies can use to uh, do their operations. So they've had to kind of take the, the their credit card, I guess you say, turn it into a long-term loan and to because that credit line that they had is, yeah. has been dropped. We've seen some significant drops at, at those companies because of those things. Got it. Very good. Well, thanks, guys, for your thoughts. If you are a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!